1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 129 of Stars Beyond the Films, your Stars Discussion Podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, 2nd Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zune, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook and Twitter pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like the Vost of my grark, the EU guru himself, the Count of Two Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler...
0: Hey everybody! The Voss to your gark—that sounds very much like either you're speaking in Klingon or somebody's just contracted a very painful disease.
1: <laughs> it does kind of sound like you're ordering some Klingon food, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: Ooh, man, man! You got a bad case of gark there, and is that Voss coming out of it? Ugh! <laughs>
1: There's a little ring of Voss on your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should probably get
0: that check before it falls off. Um, how you doing, Mark? It's uh, it's summertime. How's it treating you?
1: Dude, it is good. We just got back from Central Oregon doing a bunch of caves and camping and stuff. Me and my son uh, had quite an adventure. Got stuck out in the Deschutes while wildfire started. We were in a cave. Come out. It was like, hey, it looks kind of dusty on the horizon. You know, get in the car, start driving down this long 50-mile dirt road that we went out to find this way out there cave. And I'm like, um, this is just like when we went to resident camp because we got caught in a forest fire up there, too. So we're driving around. and All of a sudden, the smoke just starts getting thicker and thicker. And I'm, I'm like, where is it? You know, so I sent a text to my wife. I'm like, hey, you know, if there's a fire anywhere around here, she's like, oh, you're OK. It's It's a little southeast of Bend. And I'm like. I'm like Southeast of Ben. She's like, yeah, in the Deschutes forest. I'm like, uh, we're in the Deschutes forest. We are Southeast of Ben, you know? So like literally we had the, the fire, the smoke and stuff. You couldn't see it through the trees. Cause you couldn't tell how far it was. But at first it was in front of us. Then it was off to our right. Then it was off to our left before. Finally we got out of there and it was behind us. But man, my son, you know, he's all tearing up like, Oh dad, I love you. You know? Cause I'm like, I'm like, Hey, we're going to be able to tell everyone we're having an adventure. and that 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 crushed him, man. He thought like, you know, hey, we could tell everyone we had adventure. It was a good life, man. I'm like, no, dude, I didn't mean it like that. Like, like, because we went into one cave and we were literally in this cave. It's just the two of us out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I hear this like flip, 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 flip. And I bring the flashlight on my my headlamp over and this looked like a bat fell from the ceiling into the, into the water down below. We get over. It's a bird. This bird literally just drops out of the sky in the cave, hits the ground and dies. And we're just like, what the heck is this? <laughs> then we hear these voices of a dad and a girl and we go outside cuz we're literally right there by the entrance, nobody's there. I'm just like, this is weird. <laughs> really weird trip, man. We had a blast though.
0: Wow. That's insane. So either you're being haunted or it's karma. And sometime in the near future, it will be Star Wars beyond the films with Nathan and somebody else like Regis and Kelly because they'll figure out that it was a Hurliman cigarette or something that started everything. Um <laughs> But speaking of fire, I guess that's kind of bizarrely appropriate here because the story we're talking about this time actually begins with a main character in a room that's on fire. So what's up for this episode?
1: Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we discuss Dark Horse Comics' Twilight and what it means for a Jedi to lose his mind. Now before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's arrogance.
0: That's right, folks. It is Twilight, uh, featuring predominantly uh, Quinlan Voss, Vilmar Vilgarg, and uh, I guess technically Ayla Secura here. Uh, now, based on my memories of the films, that would basically mean that Quinlan Voss is a sparkly vampire with a thing for girls way, way younger than him. Um, Vil, I guess, would be the weird werewolf guy who's allergic to shirts. And I assume that ayla Secura's great Jedi power is being able to have no facial expressions whatsoever. Is that the Twilight <laughs> we're talking about? No. Close. Um, I don't know. This is a pretty good one. This is another one where, I mean, I've, I've said plenty of times that to me where Republic really got good was when they went Clone Wars, which ironically is the thing that got trampled all over by the Clone Wars cartoon series. But in a sense, what made that so good in a lot of ways wasn't the ongoing story of Obi-Wan and Anakin, which was good. But it, what made it great was the ongoing story of Quinlan Boss. And Quinlan Boss is a character who technically is a film character. Uh, he shows up as a background character in Mo in The Phantom Menace, but then he was given a personality and actual character designed around that look here for Republic, or what was then known as uh, Star Wars Ongoing, or I guess Star Wars Volume 1 from Dark Horse as opposed to Volume 1 from Marvel. Um, and it was through that that we originally got to know this character who became popular enough that then they used his visage saying, well, it's it's a film character. He just didn't have a personality from the film. Uh, and gave him that beach bum type of, of way of speaking and put him into the Clone Wars cartoon series. So this is in many ways the beginning of the story of Quinlan Boss. We saw him briefly in Emissaries to Malastare, just long enough for him to have a quick conversation with Mace Windu about how he's looking at uh, into something, and then that was about it. And now we get to see his background. We're introduced to him, we're introduced to Ala Sakura, another character Lucas winds up liking enough that he winds up adding her into the films. Um well, real and, quick,
1: I got a question for you though, because yeah. wasn't there also uh, an Obi Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn comic that he also featured heavily in where him and Obi-Wan went off on a little side adventure down a cave?
0: Honestly, I'd have to go back and look there are so many stories in that Republic era uh, I'm planning on going back. Probably not for this. Well, definitely not for this edition. But for the next edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold in 2015, I may start trying to integrate the two Clone Wars continuities yeah, I'm to, together. So to I'll run into it if there is.
1: It's if been it was a while. Aryan Express, or if it was one before that. But yeah, I recall. I recall. You know, we had that one where where he had that quick little talk with Qui-Gon and stuff and then there was the one where Obi-Wan and him kind of had that bond which is what I always liked about the character was how him and Obi-Wan had this like kind of really cool friendship where it built off of their working together not so much that they were just of the same age which happened to work out but yeah for me that's what I always remember was this this being the the quintessential Quinlan boss
0: yeah now we've got the what's up dude kind of Quinlan boss Uh, hey
1: Kenobi what's up bro
0: it's it's a good story. Uh, it's the beginning of a process for the characters that will go through this and darkness, unfortunately, with Infinity's End in between. Um, but it will eventually give us two of the strongest characters that we'll see in the Republic Clone Wars era, which are Quinlan and Ayla. Um, Vil, Vil is one of these characters you either love or hate. Um, I really like Mm -hmm, the character, mm -hmm. but I think the way that he is written in this particular story arc, we talk about it in more detail as we get into spoiler territory. The way he is written here, given the fact that this was published in 2000, it had only been a year since The Phantom Menace was uh, originally released in theaters. Comics are written a bit ahead of time, of course, so you take that, plus the fact that Phantom Menace was in theaters for months um, this was being written right around the the tail end of The Phantom Menace in theaters and that whole craze. I guess I can sort of forgive some of the ways that he is characterized, but Bill's speech and some of the slang terms that he uses, you can tell that he's sort of like, what if we made Jar Jar Binks a rough-and-tumble badass instead mm. of an idiot? Is pretty much what they try to do with Bill in this story. So it also introduces him, um, although he will be an oddity, as kind of a cross between comic relief and a serious character, depending on which story arc he appears in. So lots of nice ground floor laid here with Twilight.
1: Yeah, I liked Garak's character a lot. Uh, and and the, the for me, it was like, this is what they should have done with, Qui- with Jar Jar. You know, that's how I felt. I was like, this this is what Jar Jar should have been. You know, like, I like the seedier side of things and the way he talks. Like, you really dead unless Jedi get off moon. Jedi not leave until they talk to you. Nothing personal. I don't know, like, I I don't know, like, the way it's wrote, like, I totally hear the accent just flowing across, and I love... I love the way the Devarians are portrayed in this. Like, there's one scene where, where he's got his cousin, and he's like, don't you know two Darvarians are bad? You know, like, I just, I don't know. There was something about that character that I really enjoyed. The thing I like the most about this comic, though, is, is the aspect of the memory wipe. I mean, what it fundamentally does for the character, and even Leah uh, Sakura's character, I mean, it, it definitely changes the focus of where they're training and where they're at as Jedi. Uh Another side of things before we get too deep into stuff uh, that I kind of wanted to ask you, Nathan, is now that we've got two continuities and you know most of everything we know is from legends, is the d-canon, the saga, the regular canon version now of Aaliyah and Voss. Could we even say that they're even Master and Padawan still, not just two Jedi Knight? I mean, is there anything in the films or the Clone Wars comic that even say these two are attached?
0: Um, I'd have to go back and take a look. I can't remember if she, if she names him by name, but in uh, the Jedi Crash Defenders of Peace episodes that introduced Ayla with her French, ass, uh, French accent and ghetto booty in Clone Wars, um, that one, she's talking to Ahsoka and mentions her somewhat unconventional master, who I believe we are meant to believe is Quinlan Voss. Um, so since he does show up later, I'm figuring that was probably a connection they had intended. I'm not sure that it's ever been stated. So can we assume that they are? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But will they be? I would be almost certain of it. You know, I can't imagine mm-hmm. them not making that connection since that was so strongly hinted at in Clone Wars. Then again, we may or may not even see any new story set in that era for a very long time. So it may be an issue that just doesn't get addressed unless we get – some kind of character guide or something like that, you know, just... But at least what we've got here, and you've made this comment before, about how one of the things that might help people who were big Legends fans accept the idea of this story group canon, D canon, new canon, whatever you want to call it, this uh, new reboot, essentially, of the saga, is if some of the characters they know and love, even if they're not the same character in their background, their name, their visage, and some aspects of their personality are carried over from Legends into canon. And whereas we're all kind of speculating what's going to happen in the future, you know, are we going to see a Jaina Solo? Maybe, maybe not. Are we ever going to see, you know, Amara a Jade show up in the new canon and that sort of thing? Well, in this case, thanks to what Lucas did with Attack of the Clones, with Ayla Secura, and thanks to what... Uh, essentially by giving a personality and creating this character around this character as we see in Republic and around his brief appearance in Phantom Menace, they've taken what would have been a bit background character like a cantina alien and created the Quinlan Vos character within the Clone Wars cartoon series. So in a sense, we've sort of already got an instance of that, of a character, a pair of characters heavily seeped in legends where we got to know them best who were already carried over and will be carried over by default, thanks to Clone Wars, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, into the new canon. So, I don't know, I'd like to think that this should be something that is going to convince people that maybe it's, you know, not everything that they really liked about Legends is gone. By the same token, though, the fact that Quinlan is so different in Clone Wars Uh, makes me wonder if this instead will just be be a dividing line of saying, well, he's been neutered. You know, I really like the (laughs) character, but not that version of him. So they carried him across, but in doing so, they've done him wrong. And in some respects, I'm, I'm, say what?
1: Quino, Quinn in name only.
0: (laughs) There you go. Uh, I would say the same thing, that he really isn't much of the same character, but it depends on if they ever develop him that way, or if they ever return to the character.
1: Okay, I was thinking about that a lot. Like, okay, he's got his memory wiped in, in this comic. I mean, what's to say that down the road he doesn't find something that reinstalls his memory? We find out that that was always how he was, but from the memory white on, he became a darker, broodier Quinlan Voss that we saw. And then maybe, you know, something towards the end happened and, and he got back well, to his carefree way. But
0: you, but you don't even need it, really. I mean... There there is no easy retcon of how things work with the Clone Wars cartoon series versus this. And he's still that darker character when he rides into the sunset um, with his girlfriend by the end of Republic. Well, yeah, by the end of Republic and by the end of the Clone Wars and the original comic stuff. So in Legends continuity, he's still dark at some point, presumably after he would have shown up as the beach bum. Um, it, it, like when he's on Saleucami, for instance, in Siege Mm -hmm. of Saleucami, he's going to be the darker character, not the beach bum. So he goes from dark to beach bum to, you know, darker. Maybe at some point he just had a whole lot of spice or something, um, (laughs) or had some death sticks and didn't go home and rethink his life. And at the same time, you look at the new canon, story group canon, whatever, um, These stories don't exist. So the only incarnation we've got of Quinlan is the way he shows up in Clone Wars. So there was no memory wipe. There is no need to retcon away a memory wipe. It's it's one of these odd situations we're going to find ourselves in, I imagine, a lot over the next couple of years of looking at stories and having to put them, as we did with the Clone Wars cartoon series when we looked at season six, into the context of two completely different timelines until we get to stuff like Rebels that only exists in the one.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I loved about this, though, it, it was the introduction for me of Quinlan Voss. This was the first Quinlan Voss comic I ever read. Uh, I remember getting the trade paperback and just, you know, going over it. It, it was a really fun adventure. I love the way it ended. Uh, I love the direction it set events, the way it put the characters in motion for things that we got later into the Clone Wars of this same series. Uh, the art, you know, it's it's Jan Durisma. I love her stuff always always good stuff when I when I get her and this is one of hers like her signature characters for me like when I see it that's like the eye art style that kind of comes up the iconicness of these characters and stuff like there's a scene where uh where Quinlan's like jumping down at Mace Windu and there's all these like hawk bats and stuff kind of swooping in kind of has a Batman feel into it I, I just really love some of these scenes and there's a lot of really good ones with Quinlan Voss's face that you see uh like back in the old days with the old uh, official sites forums and stuff a lot of people used all these Quinlan Voss shots from this comic for their avatar pictures and stuff you know a lot of really good shots and stuff like that but Again, uh one of the things that I found most intriguing was, you know, not just the background of what was going on in Ryloth, but what was going on with the spiders mines of Kessel and the spiders from there and the uh glitter stem and, and the spice and all that stuff and how they made the glitter real uh, yeah. and, and how it was a different type of drug. I mean, it was kind of like uh I don't know, almost like like having Oh, what would be a good way to put it? I don't I don't I don't know enough about Hardcore drugs. I was gonna say it's kind of like having like something like pot and then turning it into meth because like the way that they changed the drug on Ryloth became so detrimental, not just to your health, but to your brain. It was like, why would you make something that does that to a person? Like literally like they're feeding them the stuff like, oh, we're keeping them stupid by giving them this stuff. And like, I don't know, like there was that side of it that was like, whoa, that's like a danger. You want to shut that down, you know? And and, and then there was the whole aspect of who the patron was. And when they get to the payoff of the patron, I was really excited, especially about the patron's point of view on things. So I I don't know. For me, it was a really fun ride. I really enjoyed it. And it made me want to know so much more about the character. And then what we get in the later parts of the series really delivered on what we got set up here.
0: Yeah, the drug aspect, it's, it's something that you would think would be played up a little bit more. But it's more the story of of Quinlan's journey than it is the investigation into this drug. Uh, The the idea behind the drug was interesting because they give you a reason for why it was all happening, but it's very, very quick. That's not something that they really delve too much into from a morality side of things. Uh, You mentioned this being a Jan Dursima comic, and it is. It's actually one of her first for Star Wars. Um, She did uh, part four of Emissaries to Malastare, and, well, her and uh, Tom Lyle, and then she did this arc, and this was coming out uh, a little bit before, I believe, what really kind of made a name for her in Star Wars, which was the Darth Maul miniseries, where he goes after Black Sun right before the Phantom mm. Menace. And she was a Star Wars artist actually prior to 2000, though, uh, because she actually did one issue, one of my favorite issues from back in the Marvel run. Uh, she did an an issue set after Return of the Jedi called The Dream. And it involves the return of a character that we had seen back in an annual who is essentially a a, a Sith now, or trying to become a Sith now, gets into a lightsaber duel with Luke, winds up, and it's some of Luke's coolest attire in that entire series. I tend to picture Luke in the EU with that that outfit on. Um, We see Luke wind up trying to deal with this this individual on a personal basis, this possible Sith who later in the continuity was retconned to have been trained by Lumaya. And in that issue, we wind up with a force, kind of a force ghosting or a... uh, It's it's hard to describe. It's like existing in an afterlife of the Force that, that Luke keeps sort of entering into when he dreams. And in that... Realm of the Force, or whatever you want to call it, we wind up seeing, uh, Obi Wan, a vision of Vader, that's meant to be the other guy, the other Sith, and even Yoda in the Force, greeting the spirits of two now dead individuals. I mean, it's a really cool story, great visuals, but you can tell as you're checking this out that her style has evolved over the last decade plus. Um, the, the level of detail and such that we get with some of the characters in uh, stuff later on, like Legacy Volume 1, is it's beginning here in a lot of ways. But I think when you, can, when you look at some of the broader shots that are done here, especially when Quinlan finally figures out that he's a Jedi, those further back shots or the bigger images um, aren't quite as detailed as what she's put forth, say, in Uh, in Legacy. So this is in a lot of ways near the ground floor for her, not just for Quinlan and Ayla, but for her as a Star Wars artist.
1: Which brings up the question I have to ask. I mean, since she's been an artist for Marvel before, do you think it's possible she may jump back over to that bandwagon to continue with Star Wars?
0: far as I understand, she will not be. Um, She made a post right around the time of the big announcement of everything jumping over to Marvel, where she said that she was This pretty much meant that she wasn't going to be doing Star Wars in the future. I know that right now she's attached to a Dark Horse's ghost series, part of that Project Black Sky.
1: Mm, Man, I I would love to see them uh, on the Delray side of things, maybe tap artists like her to do some book covers and stuff. That'd be kind of cool to see a way to kind of bring the Dark Horse people and keep them doing stuff. I don't know, probably outside the realm of possibility, but I hate to see them go. Analyze their attacks, sir, and there are
0: spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances.
1: Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and sentient of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films.
0: That's right. We don't necessarily need to take as much time summarizing this when it's been uh, around for quite a while. Essentially, the first issue, just in a nutshell, has Quinlan Boss basically we meet him amid a fire. He comes to to his senses. He's been unconscious. He awakens not burned up in the middle of a fire. And he doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know that he's a Jedi. He knows nothing. Uh, essentially his it's like amnesia. His ability to speak is intact, his muscle memory and such is intact, uh but the the memories formed out of experiences are pretty much Absent or blocked for him, uh, he manages to use the force only by instinct at this point. Um, at one point, jumping up through a skylight to escape that particular building that's on fire, he finds himself being chased down by a couple of Weequay, not quite sure where they came from, because of course he doesn't know anything about his circumstances at this point. Uh, he uses the force instinctively again against them, force pushing them, and he gets away only with the help of this Deveronian named Vilmar Gark. Uh, We'll usually just call him Vil because that's what most of the time he gets called in the stories. Um, Vil is another of these guys. I mean, he's a scoundrel, he's a a bounty hunter, smuggler, whatever it is that needs to be done. He's a mercenary. But he, at this point, there's, there's a bet going on as to how long it is that Quinlan is going to survive. And since... Vill has made his own bets. He wants to keep Quinlan alive long enough to win the bet. Um, To the point where he's already made some other bets that have cost him his ship, we will wind up finding out. Um, We get to see essentially just a very, very long, long chase sequence as we go through this. And Vill winds up feeding him at least a little bit of information about how he is a Jedi. Um, uh, He is supposed to have these moral boundaries when it comes to killing someone or what he does and yet since he has no memory of this that moral compulsion isn't there um there's a great yep. moment in which uh vilmar basically tells him you know you well quinlan says that he needs to tell quinlan everything he knows or quinlan will kill him where he sits and when vil protests, and you know you're a jedi you can't do this his response says but i don't know that do i Gark?" I don't know what a Jedi is or isn't, what they do or don't do, except that what you've told me, and I know you're a liar. Or maybe I should say that in a beach bum voice. Um, <laughs> we get some good intense moments for him, and the in- the, f- the first issue basically sets up the investigation to come as two fake Jedi come in with Ayla's lightsaber and Quinlan's lightsaber. They try to kill him. They manage to get their butts kicked themselves, but in the process, Quinlan gets back his lightsaber, and Ayla's, but his is the first one that he gets his hands on, and this introduces him having that psychometric force ability to read memories off of physical objects through the force, and it gives him images of Siv Tente, uh, the leader of the Guardians back on, on Kifex and Kifu. It gives him an image of Mace Windu, the idea of Jedi, an image of Aayla Secura, her name, but no context to any of the names that he's hearing in his head, any of the images that he's seeing. He's simply able to essentially proclaim, you know, I know who I am. My name is Quinlan Voss, and I am a Jedi. And you think, oh, he knows everything now. No. No, he just, he knows his name, and he knows he's a Jedi, and he kind of gets what that means, and that's pretty much it. But it sets up essentially in this his amnesia, his partnership, uneasy as it is with Bill, and his psychometric abilities, and boom, the hunt is on to figure out who did this to him and to find Ayla. Uh, a lot of stuff crammed into that issue, especially given the fact that about half the issue is a massive chase sequence. They still managed to do quite a bit in the issue.
1: Yeah, I love the relationship between the two. I mean, I, they have like a. I don't know, like a Garrick and Bashir kind of feel from Star Trek to the way they kind of tease each other back and forth. Cause Quinlan's kind of like, you know, he looks down at Billy. And I think that's part of why the speech is the way it is. Like there's a scene where he's like, Quinlan goes, what is this Jedi that people keep calling me? Is that my species? Nah, Jedi are allies of the Force. This Force is like energy stuff. It's all living things. Billy doesn't understand it. Tries not to have too much to do with it. Everyone thinks because you lose your memory, you lose ability to manipulate Force. But you still have not. Still, you are Jedi, even when you don't know what Jedi is. Some say you kill other Jedi. Some say Jedi gone bad. Other Jedi maybe do this to you. Billy not know. Billy not care. And... I love the way he, he does these kind of things like like the the way the gamble thing goes, you know, they're doing their whole betting and stuff. And, and when he decides that he's going to turn on Quinlan and, and shoot him in the back, because that's when he has his moment, which, is, as you said, we learned later. That's when he had placed his first bet, putting up the Inferno, his ship. But he's on. The, they got like this little recorder that's coming around him. And he's like, so now make big bets and make killing. Good plan. Huh? Hello, losers. Gilmar Garak making claim on Jedi bet. Visual confirmation in five seconds. Nothing personal, Jedi. Why am I not kidding you? Click, click, click. As he's like pulling the trigger and it's not working. And I love This is when we finally found out about uh, his power. Quinlan's got the special power where he grabs things and he can read their history off of them. Well, he grabbed the blaster and he's like, it didn't fire because it reversed the power cell before giving it back to you. The same power cell I just now changed back. But how did you know? Blaster told me. While I was focused, images came off of it. I knew you had made a bet as well. And now you will tell me some things, Gark. I I just, I like the way that he starts using his abilities and starts gaining them back. There's a lot of internal thinking on his part, like, oh, if I could just make it to that, you know, and if that lightsaber would just come to me, you know, and that kind of stuff. And then it happens, and he's like, oh, wow. Uh, And, you know, we get the little breadcrumbs of you know you were once a Jedi, and and we know what a Jedi is, but he doesn't. I like the way it's played because if you're new to Star Wars and you're reading this, like it has that very fresh, like, oh, what is Luke gonna become? He's a, what's a Jedi? You know, I, I get that feeling from this in this era, and I just I love the way that that presents itself.
0: Yeah, it is very much a show don't tell type of story, which is pretty cool. It's it is still kind of weird seeing thought balloons to go with. Star Wars characters, because for such a long time, thought balloons have, have been done instead as those little, uh, narration boxes up in the corner and whatnot. Um, but plays out well. The only thing, this is where we get one of those instances, and I won't call out them both, I just lump them together here, that make me go, aw, man, they're doing too much with the, well, we just all saw the Phantom Menace. We, guess what, guys? We saw it too! So, let's use some phrases from Phantom Menace. So yeah, we got stuff like Padawan, that makes sense. A new term for a Jedi apprentice? No problem. But then we've got Vilmar as they're zipping along. Uh, let's see. And because this is Narshada, everyone tried to cheat. Make you die closest to time they pick. Then they win Bombad monies. I was really hoping Bombad <laughs> was just a Gungan thing because it sounds so stupid. Later on, they used the word voodoo. And the issue there, of course, is that they use it the way that Star Wars has been using it in the modern era, I guess, as opposed to the way it was originally used. Because remember, when it was originally used, oh, bantha oh, poodoo, oh, oh, it was fodder. It was you're going to be bantha fodder. You are going to die and be food for the banthas when I dump your dead bodies. That's what Jabba was saying. Instead, apparently, in the prequel era. Food is synonymous with, or excuse me, with a, uh, poop, with, uh, excrement, feces. Uh, I always say, you know, that 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 someday there should be a magazine about, uh, a poop for doctors that specialize in that called Fecal Matters. Just saying. Um, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where it's like, for some reason, it first it sounds goofy and silly. For a character supposed to be all rough and tumble to be saying stuff like poodoo, it's like say, saying, uh, uh, I hate you. You know what you can do? You can go eat doody. No. You can go eat poopy. No! Say something other than that. Poodoo sounds stupid. Um, I know it's a word they use, but you wouldn't catch Han Solo using it when he's trying to cuss. He's just too cool not. for that. I hope not. Um, but instead, they're using poodoo, and that's been a term that has always bothered me because it sounds childish, which made sense out of Jar Jar, but not out of anybody else. Um, but also, they're not even using it the way that Lucas himself created to be used originally back in Return of the Jedi. It's another of those inconsistencies within the films between the classic trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Poodoo went from being something you eat to something you dump out the other end and hopefully don't eat unless you're into that sort of thing, in which case we don't want to know about it. Uh, beyond that, though, I like the way that bill plays out, and I hear a very similar voice in my head when he's talking. Like, he needs to be a character alongside Johnny Depp in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie or something.
1: Uh, yeah, like, he's got, like, an Italian kind of accent or something. Yeah, <laughs> like he's like, he's like the... S-
0: Yeah, he's kind of like the mobster or whatever. He's "He's not going to make you an offer you can't refuse because he wouldn't be able to say that entire sentence in the correct order anyway. You know? (laughs) Um, And when he speaks in sentence fragments, it makes sense because it fits his character, unlike the writer of Rebel Heist being able to write almost entirely in sentence fragments. We'll get to that someday when we review that series.
1: Did did you notice the one scene, though, when they're doing the flashback and they talk about going to Tatooine and stuff, they actually put the scene where... When you watch in episode one, Qui-Gon and Anakin and them are walking by. It's right before or after Jar Jar does the tongue whip out and he grabs the little frog thing and pulls it in his mouth. Uh, There's a quick panel where you cross and that's where Quinlan's sitting at the bar at Tatooine drinking. And they show that. like They show the other character, him sitting at the bar. I thought that was really cool. Uh, And then you also see him kind of shooting Aaliyah secure in the back, which... You know they talked Billy talked about it, you know, you possibly shot a Jedi, and you see this, but I don't remember exactly if they explained why he had shot her in the back originally. I mean, we see later what happens, but I don't recall seeing that
0: but it's not him that even shoots her. he sees someone who looks like him. Uh, I'm not seeing in the first issue that part of the vision, so it must be in a later issue so let's let's move on to issue two and for those who are following this, these aren't known as Twilight issue one, two, three, four. This is back when After they had done it that way for a while, they decided, no, it makes more sense to have an ongoing number, and then we'll put the part number for this particular story underneath it, before they eventually got to the point where the series were high up in number and said, ooh, high numbers, that's a barrier to new readers coming in, they'll see it and not buy it, so let's go back and renumber them by storyline again, which led to stuff like Dark Times being able to claim to be Republic issues 90-plus or whatever. Um, So in this case, if you're looking for these individually, it's Star Wars Ongoing Issues 19 through 22. It's also out there, of course, as a trade paperback just as Twilight, and I believe it's also in an omnibus as well. It's another one of these ones that's been around long enough. It's been collected several times. So we move on to Issue 20, a.k.a. Twilight Part 2 of 4, which is like Eclipse or New Moon or some crap like that. Um, At least in this story, we don't have any werewolves apparently getting the hots for babies or something uh, yeah yeah I tried to get into Twilight it didn't work uh, all right so we start out then with issue number two where we've got another of these psychometric visions this I believe is actually what you were talking about where we got we see ala Secura um, we see something collapsing down towards them uh, we eventually will find that it's one of those Kessel style spice spiders Um We see him sitting on Tatooine in conversation. We see an image of Bib Fortuna, another of Chief Tente, someone who looks like Quinlan, but we will find out isn't, shooting Ayla in the back. And he comes out of this vision, and I guess what he was using to stimulate this vision was to have both lightsabers turned on and touch them together? I mean, him touching them is what gives him the vision, but he's got them crossed in front of him uh, with the energy sizzling out uh, when Vil finally brings him out of his thought process, which was a cool vision, but uh, a cool image doesn't really seem like there was much of a need for it other than just, hey, let's do something that looks cool. Well,
1: and his Jedi, right before he came out, kind of threw me off like, wait, was there something bad that he saw there? Like, is he mad at (laughs)
0: Aliyah? So he decides that he is going to investigate, and Bib Fortuna is an individual whose name he's got out of all of this. So he wants to track down Bib Fortuna, and Bill is basically saying, you know, ah, he's on Tatooine, he works for Jabba, what's going on? turns out Bib Fortuna at this point has left Jabba's temporarily, not left his employ, but just gone home, uh, or gone to uh, Nar Shaddaa above Nao and has decided to kind of get into a little side business for himself so he's there and they drop in on him quinlan again does some very un jedi style things like using the force to throw bib fortuna around several times uh, before they wind up having to flee but they do at least find out that there is something going on that he's a part of and he is just a facilitator in it. There is someone else higher up, and they learn that that higher up person, whoever it is, is going to be on Coruscant. So now they've got to get to Coruscant. They've got to get uh, into their investigations beyond Nar Shaddaa. Turns out that bill has got a ship, the Inferno, with a cool little uh, personnel, a, a general, an Astro navigation and general assistance droid, NT-600, a.k.a. ANTI, that uh, is essentially a personality for the ship. And unfortunately, he's lost the ship in one of his many bets. They go back to essentially steal it. We wind up seeing Quinlan use some of the same type of of logic that Fives used on AZ back in the Order 66 arc of Clone Wars with the whole, you know, uh, using logic to get him to do what he wants him to do. Like, hey, you know, we should lift off and we should, you know, activate the weapons and bring the shields up. Sorry, can't do it. You're not the owner anymore. Yeah, but see... Wouldn't that be protecting the new owner's investment, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? <laughs> um, and they managed to uh, escape from the planet, and oddly enough, rather than going straight to Coruscant, because it would seem that that would be the next place they're pointing, but who knows where the next you know, clue would have to be found on Coruscant. It's not like they've got any leads to narrow it down at this point. While they're in space, they're able to get Ante the computer to bring up some background on Quinlan, essentially tell him about himself, which is a good introduction to Kifex and Kifu, the concept of the Guardians, the concept of Chief Tente being above them, and instead of going straight to Coruscant, he goes to Kifex to meet with Chief Tente, Tente Boss, who's like an elder within his family and also the leader of the Guardians, and she's the one who's able to then explain a little bit more about what's going on, that weeks ago, he and Ayla came to Kifex, looking for information on a new drug called Glitterril, all this one word, Glitterril. Um, they know about Glitterstim, right? the spice from Kessel, from the big old spiders that we see in stuff like the Jedi Academy trilogy. And they know about Rill, which is the real spice that you get on Ryloth, which is the Twi'lek home planet, which would connect it to Big Fortuna uh, and possibly to Ayla, because they're both Twi'leks and all. Um, and that there really isn't any information to be found beyond that about glitter Rill, this idea that kinda combines the two so they decided to go to Ryloth the home planet of the Twi'leks to figure out more about this mysterious drug and since that's where they went to from Kiffex, that's the next step that Quinlan thinks they need to take to go there and you get this sense uh, I, I like the idea that there's some tension between Quinlan and his family, or Quinlan and his people, because presumably a lot of the Guardians use the Force, or at least the Guardians, they don't tap into the Force per se, but they have abilities that allow them to be the Guardians, if that makes any sense. And in Quinlan's case, he was particularly strong in the Force, and he had the psychometric reading ability, which made him unique. But the Jedi took him for training, and the chief allowed this to happen. Well, it's the former chief. It's, it's Tente's husband, I guess it was. Um, was it her late husband that did it?
1: I thought it was her brother, but maybe it was husband.
0: Sorry, yeah, it was, it was, it was my brother who was chief before me, yeah. Um, that basically allow him to go on the expectation then that someday he would come back and he would be a guardian, as he was meant to be, but also be a Jedi, which would give them a Jedi guardian. No connection to that type of game character or anything, um, which would allow him to sort of be the best of both worlds and the ultimate badass on the Guardians, only, in her words, the Jedi don't ever give back what they take. The Jedi take and take and take, but that's it. And when it comes to their children, they take, they become Jedi, they do not ever return home. And we end that issue with Vil apparently plotting, who, at this point, Quinlan really can't trust, uh, plotting against Quinlan with his cousin, another Deveronian, to try to nail Quinlan because a new bounty has been put on his head by someone. Not Bib Fortuna, and they don't reveal in this issue who it was that put the bounty on him. So we get a new mystery, a new set of mysteries, another step in the investigation, and some cool background for Quinlan in this issue.
1: Yeah, one thing I loved was the introduction of N.T., and I loved it because, like, you know, I keep reading everything Villy says in the accent. So when I read him saying NT, you know, NT. And so I love the fact that Voss is like, Auntie, who is Auntie? And then he's like, anti like, like poker chips, you know, let's throw the anti in there. And he's like, NT 600. Esther navigational and generalist is destroyed. I hardwired into ship to act as co-pilot. Sadly, also has ethics circuit, which are useless and most aggravating, especially now. <laughs> I I love this character. Like I so wish Jar Jar would have been like this, like a total Han Solo type. I mean, that's kind of like. This is like Han Solo back before he was retconned into shooting second, you know, like the, yeah. the, I will shoot you. I will, I will find ways to scam you and everything going around it. I, I really enjoyed that about the character. And what you were saying also about, uh, uh, what the, uh, the Tefe was saying, you know, she mentions to Quinlan, he was talking about, you know, she, uh, she goes, there's darkness boiling within you, Quinlan Voss. I've sensed it since you entered the room. I have felt it as well. When I was on Narshadah questioning Bib Fortuna, I felt a power within me. A power that fed my anger, but also fed from it, and afterward made me feel unclean. This is what the Jedi call the dark side. Guardians do not fool with the Force or its dark side, but we respect it. You, Quinlan Vos, must be wary of its call. And I like the fact that, you know, the darkness within him is growing, and I, I, of course, you know, this is mainly because of the fact that his mind's been wiped, I think that all is Jedi defenses are down and so he's not realizing that he's allowing himself to fall there but he's got enough of him in there to recognize that it's wrong or it's off you know that there's something not right about it and then you know you have these kind of conversations where it's kind of reaffirming that belief for him I I thought that was a really cool twist cool part of the journey for the character because I mean while he is able to read certain things and get information there's still that lack of context it's not like you know he holds it and everything is is awakened you know and he knows it all now it's 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 kind of like in a way how uh, the eu became canon there for a while like just because this happened didn't mean you got the whole comic <laughs> you just got that one little thing
0: in a lot of ways he's been able to do the thing that yoda always talked about unlearning what he has learned and now we're <laughs> seeing him learning it all over again um so we move into issue number three and issue number three presents the issue with the title, I mean, I joke that, you know, Twilight, oh, it's sparkly vampires and all that stuff. Uh, vampires playing frickin' baseball and stuff. Um, but the, the thing about it is that Twilight, in a sense, Twilight and Darkness play together these two titles with these two stories that form the bookends in a lot of ways of this part of Quinlan Voss and Ayla Secura's journey gives sort of that this is him, descending towards darkness that's the darkest that it gets that's when they confront the evil and then they come out the other side and it works well like that but initially i would argue that there was a double meaning to this kind of like i'm you guys know that i've been blowing through all the law and order stuff and i actually just finished the last season of regular law and order today and one of the series of law and order that, that features young lawyers is called conviction And I love the fact that it plays off the idea of convicting criminals, but also conviction, strong belief that guides them. Here, Twilight plays into the idea of, you know, the descending into darkness for Quinlan, but also the fact that that's kind of where a chunk of this story takes place. As the third issue begins, the trip to Ryloth is quiet and uneventful, and neither being speaks. Thank goodness, because at some point, Quinlan is probably just going to kill Vil to make him shut up. The planet itself, located on the outer rim near Tatooine, rotates so slowly that one side always faces the sun. The only inhabitable stretch is a narrow twilight patch of mountainous land between the extremes of dark and light. So, we've got the play on twilight as they're in the twilight region of Ryloth, but... Now we run into one of those things that we've talked about plenty of times when we talked about the Clone Wars before. This is one of those stories that then makes you kind of slap your forehead because, face palm, this is a concept that, of course, got booted in a lot of ways thanks to what we got with the Clone Wars Season 1 and its portrayal of Ryloth not being this way. Uh, In reading this, for the first time in many, many years, I found I ran into that and it it stood out like a sore thumb to me. I mean, it works. I mean, you, you get past it and you just keep on reading the story, you know, whatever. They're just somewhere on Ryloth. But the fact that they mentioned it a couple of times and the title of the story seems to be a play on words with that concept and the idea of Quinlan's story. To me, that really was kind of a smack upside the head of, yeah, this is old continuity. Was it like that for you two reading this again?
1: Well, what I thought was kind of interesting, because I always considered it completely tide locked in the way they talked about it, how it was slowly rotating. I was like, Oh, well, I guess that kind of explains away that other one. Like maybe at a certain time of the rotation, it kind of moves forward like an extra four feet. <laughs> but there was that aspect of it that kind of, you know, I wasn't watching the Clone Wars at that time. And I remember, the people that were that were big EU fans were complaining about this and it was like why are they doing this you know that was one of those things like why not just create another planet if you need to have a shadow you know <laughs> cuz that was what never really made sense like i don't know i mean could could what we got in the clone wars fallen into this twilight stretch of the planet there's a part of me that says yeah
0: well it's got to work somehow right at least for legends at this point it's just a question of how thankfully i guess the new continuity doesn't need to worry about it All right, so we we pick up with, after that brief little narration at the beginning of Issue 3, they've arrived on Ryloth, and apparently, yes, Red, Twi'leks do dress skankily um, and are treated kind of the same way they are everywhere else, even on Ryloth, it seems like. Um, We wind up meeting very quickly right there uh, as they arrive a woman by the name of Asante Voss. She is another member of Clan Voss, dressed very much like uh, Quinlan, minus the the Guardian stuff that she's got on, and with the different facial markings that recognize her as part of Clan Voss. Now, she is uh, she's from Clan Voss, and she's an admirer of his, kind of like a cousin, second cousin, whatever within this family. It's a little odd because you never really get a hint within this story that there was ever any romantic involvement between the two the way she's drawn a couple times sure does make it look like that's the impression she's trying to give like the first shot or excuse me the second shot that we get of her when she's saying oh my it is true then what they said your memory is gone etc etc she's looking up at him and has her hands on his shoulders looking up it almost looks like this is supposed to be like a lover who's found that the man she loves no longer remembers her it's I guess the post could be taken another way, but did you get that sense that, in a way, the art was trying to sell something of the interaction between those two characters prior to his memory wipe that the text just wasn't playing into?
1: Yeah, there was. I definitely went back with, with their relationship in question, especially what what you did get later in, I think, issue four with the text, because you're like, wait, it, it made me stop about the, the way that the clan was. Originally, I thought it was like a whole you know family kind of thing, but then I started to Think of it more like the Mandalorians, like you know, like they're just like maybe one region is is that clan kind of thing, Uh, because yeah, I kind of had the feeling like yeah they were supposed to be meant together or at least she thought that way, Um, and the way it's drawn here definitely looks like she's kind of like waiting for a kiss and like oh you really don't remember me dang,
0: and apparently in Clan Boss the markings on your face don't have to be in a specific place to denote you as the clan, they just kind of have to be there his go underneath his eyes horizontally or somewhat horizontally and hers is right there smack in the middle of her forehead or five head so <laughs> he meets with her uh vil decides to head out because hey there's plenty of of spice that he could smuggle off the planet he's going to find a way to make some money while he's there he winds up meeting up with his cousin the one that uh holmar who end up contacting him at the end of the second issue um, to try to set up Quinlan to make some money or at least that's what he's saying and that's when we get that scene that you were Mentioning earlier where basically he's smacking around on his cousin saying you know a couple of Deveronians together in a place That doesn't have a lot of Deveronians, people are gonna think we're up to something so we're a freaking disguise Why don't you? Um, well,
1: and I love the way he does it too. I mean he's like the, the cousin's like ah cousin we meet again face to face finally yes Ah, greetings, Cousin Homar. And he cracks him across the face, knees him in the gut. While he's on the ground, he's like, kick, dud, dud, dud. And while he's studying, he's like, nice to see you again, also. And then he bends down, and the guy's bleeding from his nose. He, you are one stupid son of Merglak. Shall Billy really explain why? Please. Like, he doesn't even say it all the way. He's just, please. And that's when he's like, you know, people see two Deveronians together, peoples assume they're up to something. Peoples are usually right. Jedi not stupid. You want my help to kill Jedi and collect bounty? You must not get Vili killed first. Is understandable, Rules. Good. Vili is delighted. You grow brains so late in life. Omar, put on disguise and meet Vili in the Seco Cantina. Nice place. Unobtrusive. We talk more there. Okay? It's okay. It cracks him one more time in the face. Gentle reminder. Do not forget disguise. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I go back and forth. Like, sometimes he seems Italian. Sometimes he seems Russian mob. But it, I just love the character so much and the way he talks. Like, I don't know. I know I know other people. He must have just drove people nuts because there are people that love Jar Jar. And Jar Jar is one of those characters that grind on me. But the way that this character is presented, I really loved it. I thought it was a very fun take on a character.
0: Makes you wonder, as gruff as he is, if he was speaking with Misas and Yusas, would it have been more acceptable than the way that people initially reacted to Jar Jar's manner of speaking? Is it the words that are said, or the voice in which it is said, uh, that makes people have such a jarring—no pun intended—I guess—reaction to Jar Jar initially? Um, it's
1: got to be the way it's said because I would have preferred Tarples as Jar Jar, bec- and he said he said Yusa Yusa and do, do Jar Jar. I, yeah, it's got to yeah, be. Yeah, see, that.
0: see, you know, Tarples... Good, serious character, like the way he went out in the Clone Wars, and and like him as a serious character in Episode 1. But when we introduce a character talking about how you're in big doo-doo this time, it's just like the whole poodoo thing and bombad thing. You sound like a frickin' <laughs> idiot. There's a difference between alien-speak and accents and frickin' baby talk.
1: Just I just want to know who in the prequel trilogy got to pull the Harrison Ford. You can write this down, George, but you can't read it. Probably
0: Natalie Portman. Um, all right, so uh, he continues his investigation, he being Quinlan in this case. He goes to speak, thanks to uh, meeting Asante. They go to meet with Ayla's uncle. This is Paul Secura. He's a member of the ruling council, one of the five members of the ruling council. We will find that he is concerned because when a member of the ruling council dies, all the other ones go out essentially to burn in the sunlight part of the planet, and he doesn't want to do that. And that type of situation is coming up, so he's trying to find a way to secure his own power base beyond just the ruling council. But they meet with him. Um, he basically says that they showed up there wanting to figure out... uh uh, what was going on with the rill? does it give any hint about the whole glitter rill thing. Supposedly found nothing and were sent on to Kessel, and then nothing else was ever heard. Uh, we will find that they never actually went onward to Kessel. It is here that everything went down in the first place. Uh, he's told that he is going to be sent to go stay in the same rooms that he and Ayla had stayed in before. Uh, which would be great for Quinlan because he can touch the stuff and get the psychometric readings and be able to have visions of what happened the last time they were there, assuming that the memory is still relatively fresh. So, uh, Vill meets and plots a little bit more with his cousin, has a little bit more witty banter. We get a brief scene in which Pol contacts a mysterious benefactor. Bum, 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 and of course, this being the prequel era. Yeah, this being the prequel era, mysterious benefactor, patron, pretty much gotta be Sidious at this point. Um, We will find at the end of the story, yeah, it's Sidious. Um, But he's speaking with the Benefactor about, you know, how he doesn't want to wind up going out into the Firelands and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he had thought that he had taken care of things when having the memory of Quinlan and Ayla erased, etc, etc. At least Quinlan will find Ayla also. But no. No. uh, This patron wants the Jedi dead uh, if he is getting too close to what is going on here. So, uh, we jump to those quarters that are supposedly where Quinlan and Ayla had stayed. At this point, Asante's in there, as is Quinlan, and he's not feeling anything. Uh, well, he's not taking anything. Can we talk about that
1: room? Oh, sorry. Can we talk about that room for a sec? Because that first scene, when his, you know, Asante's sitting on that ledge with the bird fiery thing, like, what kind of room has an open drop in it uh, that scene? See,
0: that, that got me to... It's not supposed to be one image, I don't think, because you look at it and she's sitting on the little ledge thing and either she's like right outside the room and he's the one inside and there's that like round opening that's the doorway or this or this might be that we're seeing like two images kind of superimposed from outside and inside, because whether it's buildings in the distance Or building, or supposed to be the building that they're in. I think it's meant to just be one in the distance. You can see these sort of like weird, like underground rock formations, and how they have these circular, little bisected windows underneath.
1: Yeah. Well, and then the next scene when she's she's actually walking in the door. You're Mm -hmm. right, she is outside, probably on a terrace, kind of ledge or something. Okay. Yeah, because when I first looked at it, I'm like, man, why is there a big hole in that room?
0: Because he's managed to tick off. Uh, someone in game of Thrones and they stuck him in one of those you know uh, he, he he angered Lissa the crazy lady uh, but that's that's a whole other thing um, so he she basically figures out that something is wrong there's something to hide here um Asante who we will find later was in on is like oh no yo why would he send you to the wrong room you know that surely he she's You know, his niece, he's her uncle. Surely he wouldn't do anything. And he gets this crazy, mad, uh, like, I expect to, like, like (laughs) Mark Hamill Joker. Yeah, Mark Hamill Joker thing going on where he says, you know, uh, nothing makes sense to me, Asante. I have no memory, no knowledge of the past, my own or anyone else's. I do not know what makes sense or not. I have only instincts and images, but no context for those images. Even when they are of myself, I have no emotional connection to them. They might as well be images of someone else. My life is gone. And he just, you can, it's the boiling out of that same frustration that we got whenever back in the first issue, he threatened to kill Bill. He's keeping it under control, but this is definitely an, a Jedi just boiling under the surface. He's going to have a lot to contend with in the future. And I will applaud this arc for doing something that was dangerous, I guess, or, or is thought of essentially as as a risk in comics so often, which is to not just press the reset button at the end. At the end of this arc, Quinlan doesn't have his memories back. He eventually will get quite a bit of them back, and he, will, and he will build more as he goes along through retraining and such, but this is not, oh, we're going to kill off Superman and a few issues later do Return of the Superman and... Bring him back or anything like that. This is not—we're gonna take Peter Parker's mind out of his body and stick in Octavius, and then eventually take it right back out. Uh, at least not at the end of this broad storyline. In this particular arc, they leave him with this type of frustration. He's willing to go back to retrain with the Jedi, but it's not as though you just flick a switch and everything is better. Um, but oh,
1: I love like the way you read it. It it, it the drawing of him during that scene the look of anger the look of rage the clenching of the teeth the way his eyes are drawn like the way you read it is exactly how I kind of read it like that you could see the fury the rage the anger the frustration all in the way that Jan has captured the character I love that and then you got the part where she you know she asked him you know how how finding her how is that gonna you know fix your life with her you know is everything gonna be okay and he's like when I'm silent when I'm quiet I hear a voice within directing me to find Aaliyah is to find my own spirit. I feel the rightness of it. I know this is a path I must walk even if I am unsure where it will lead or what I will find. It is all I can do. And that is like that is his journey in a nutshell at this point. I mean, he's from the moment he first woke up in the fire, he's just trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Right? And I, I will say the the image right before the one you describe where he's basically in shadow and starts to laugh, that's probably the closest thing I've ever seen in a Star Wars comic to remind me vividly of Batman the Killing Joke. <laughs> it just it really brings that to mind. Um, so, when they're discussing things, he gets contacted by Vil, which is basically to lure him supposedly into this trap that his cousin has set. Only, it's not really a trap that his cousin has set, because once the cousin is there and wants to take out Quinlan, Vil just takes him out too. Uh, you, know, you didn't like that cousin apparently very much. You know, oh yes, his side of family and mine never like each other much. But he finds out that there is a bounty on Quinlan's head. He found that out from his cousin. Knows it's not Fortuna, who did it, not Bib Fortuna from back uh, in the previous issue. So now there's a new bet going on. He's going to get Quinlan off of Ryloth safely, except Quinlan has no intention of just running. Uh, He wants to know what's going on, uh, and he believes that the truth can be found in the spice mines because he has visions of the spice mines he wants to go check it out and that's where they finally reveal what this glitter rill stuff is basically what they've got is enormous spiders from Kessel the ones that create glitter stem are eating the rill which is the spice found on Ryloth and in doing so it creates glitter rill now at this point we still have this sense of hearing glitter rill, glitter stem, rill it makes you think that this is going to be a drug that's used to get high. But we'll find later that that's not actually what it does. It has a much more uh solid connection, I guess you could say, to what's happening with Quinlan. It is not just, oh, this happens to be the MacGuffin they were chasing. It is directly causationally related to what's going on with him and, and his memory loss and such. So that to fight their way out, through the spiders, wind up pretty much killing the spiders along the way, um, only Asante shows up and shoots Quinlan. And she's either a stormtrooper at heart, or she's just meaning to stun him because she shoots him, apparently in the head, and doesn't kill him. It just kind of like smacks him upside the back of his head uh, and leaves him <laughs> disoriented. In a sense. And she explains that basically she wants to get away from, from Kifu. She wants to get away from being a guardian. So she needed the money. So she was willing to work on this thing uh, with Paul Sakura and his mysterious benefactor and all that stuff. Um, they tried. They tried to save Quinlan and Ayla. They showed up. They found out too much. And instead of killing them, they tried to just wipe their memories. But instead, now that they're back, he must die. And as is the case often with villains monologuing in monster movies, one of the big spiders from Kessel comes up behind her, and before she can pull the trigger and kill Quinlan, basically eats her. Like He grabs her. You don't see exactly how um, it's shown. It's one of those shots where it goes from, you can see from basically the middle of her chest up to just past the top of her head, and the next shot where the bite or the stab takes place, you don't see it because it zooms in on just her face in the barrel of the blaster, but you hear the schwick uh, with no vowels in there, and she's bleeding from her mouth and nose, and then her body is just lifted away in the next panel, but it's all done in shadow. So I don't know if this is supposed to be that like it took one of its arms and stabbed through her, or if it bit her in the top it's, of the head. It's a
1: bit. It's, it bit through her chest is kind of how I got it. If you look at the claws around, there's one that's kind of coming out from the middle of her chest. It's uh one, two, three, the fourth one up from the right side of that panel where he says Asante. That one looks like it's coming right through the middle of her chest. That's At least that's the impression I got, that it came right through her chest, stabbed her right through, and then lifted her up off the ground.
0: And she's a hearty lady because she gets stabbed like that, and as she's being carried away, she's still holding the blaster. Um, so... Quinlan kills the last of those spiders um, and then goes over to the dying Asante, uh, who does, again, you know, basically, she she pleads basically for forgiveness, you know, I'm sorry I betrayed you, the clan, the honor, etc., etc., it only led to darkness, but now that they've got the name Polsekira, they know that Ayla's uncle was behind all of this, or at least behind it before you get to the benefactor who's the real man behind the curtain um a very angry quinlan is ready to go after pole secure a very non-jedi jedi is ready to go take things out on the uncle as we end issue number three
1: yeah and there's some really cool things you know again i really liked billy's character so when he talks you know when they're going to uh the spice mines, you know, but they decide that that's where they're going to go. Billy goes, gotta go along, protect investment. And Voss is like, you keep setting people up to die, guard. Am I supposed to trust you? Of course you can trust me. Is money involved? And that is like the key to this character. Like if you can figure that out, he's definitely one of those characters that's got his one thing that he's true to. Everything else, he will sell you out and turn around and, and cut your losses. Like you'll find out he's the one that smuggled the eggs for these spiders onto Ryloth in the first place. He was the one that disposed uh, Quinlan onto the other planet that it first started off on Narshadar. He's the reason he was there. All these things, but he doesn't mention it because there's no need to bring that up, you know. Uh, and then when the spider, you know, Quinlan stabs it after it attacks uh, Ashante, it's about to come down and, and attack him, and Villy shoots it in the head as well. Ha! You are such a lucky Jedi! Villy, not die! Climb on web stuff! Climb back up! Save your butts. I just... Like, he totally takes credit for it. That's his classic of that type of character. Like, I I don't know. Like, I get, like, this spike from Angel and Buffy kind of vibe from him at times. Like, you know, this guy's playing both sides of the fence and will stay true to certain things. But you definitely don't want to turn your back on him. And I love the fact that he's always calling Quinlan his his best friend or his good friend. And like, I don't trust you. And Quinlan keeps saying that. He's like, I don't know if I trust you at all.
0: Yeah, you keep using that word. I do not think you know what it means. It, it does not mean what you think it means. Um, so we move into issue number 22, also known as Twilight Part 4, and no time is wasted. Quinlan busts in, actually cuts his way in, him and Vil um, to see Paul Sakura and confronts him. Uh, Quinlan says, you know, you did this to me, you know, she, she that is Asante named you responsible for what happened to me and my apprentice. If Ayla is dead, and I think that's, it's an oh, It's another sentence fragment type of thing going here, you know, if Ayla is dead, and it's revealed that no, Ayla is not dead. But it's a creepy, creepy situation. Ayla has been mind-wiped as well, and basically put into slave girl, lounge girl, whatever you want to call it, attire, and dropped in as a blue Twi'lek with secure's two red twi'lek women that are kind of like in his whatever you want harem whatever you want to call it Um, yes
1: exactly and that's disturbing because it made me go back to the first page from before quinlan cuts in he is hand feeding her food like (laughs) because that was what i was thinking too like wait she's in his harem and then like wait he's feeding her little crumbs of food like what in the heck is this uncle doing
0: yeah, but I wonder if this is, because the other girl, at least one of the other Twi'leks, is bringing in food, I'm if this is because of her duh, mental state, because of how <laughs> much glitter reels she's been given, um, rather than it being like, hey baby, it's sexy for you to eat from my fingers. Because again, if, that's, if it is that latter case, then we need one of the dudes from Dateline NBC to come in here and bust the guy for, uh, in this case, incest. Um, yeah, it is still incest if it's a cousin, right? Uh, unless you're in Alabama. Or, sorry, That's sorry to all the Alabamans out there. I'm in Georgia. That's the way it works. <laughs> if I was still back in Indiana, I would have said Kentucky. It's just the rivalry thing. It works. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting here that it turns out that she's alive, but she's way, way out of it. She doesn't recognize um, anything other than her own name in any of the stuff that Quinlan says to her. She doesn't recognize the lightsaber at all. And what we find is that glitterill is what was being used. It was essentially designed not to be something to get people high. Apparently you take the two spices, Rill and Glitter Stem, you use the spiders as a way of bringing those two things together and what you get is something that creates a clean slate mind wipe. You still have your muscle memory, you still have your ability uh, to reason and all and you still can speak and understand whatever languages you knew but any of your personal memories are gone which allows you to create essentially perfectly malleable soldiers imagine the ability to go into war and instead of killing the enemy capture them and then once you capture them um, do a mind wipe on them and turn them into your own soldier we're talking something uh, akin to Devshirma, uh back in the days of the early Islamic empires or we're talking about something uh, like friggin brody on homeland kinda stuff only in this case there is no need to break anyone's will and turn them into a soldier for you to go fight against the people that they were probably serving last time they met. Instead, you just simply wipe their minds, they've still got all the training, you instill them with whatever BS values you want to instill in them and send them back out into the field. That is a creepy, crazy type of concept and the fact that we have the Clone Wars coming up with manufactured humans plays into this same thing. It's touching on this idea of wartime morality Uh and how to create an ultimate soldier. And I love that aspect of the story. It's very thought-provoking, and yet it gets maybe a mention on one page, and then poof, it's gone again, because it's not the thrust of the story. I'm not sure if that is a strength or a weakness of this. It's either a weakness because they have this great concept, and it blows by because it's not the central arc of Quinlan, it's not – I mean, knowing what it is, it's basically like the MacGuffin of the whole thing. It's not essential to understanding his story. Or if it's a strength to the story because they don't spend a lot of time detailing something that isn't essential. Either way, though, it's a very thought-provoking concept.
1: Well, definitely thought-provoking. I mean because I hadn't thought of it the way you had. Uh, I mean, in fact, once you put that out there, I'm like, holy crap. Like That is a lot more dangerous because all it actually says is he says – uh, and this is Paul. The glitteril makes the mind a clean slate. The corporate sector could use sentient minds and reprogram them every day. Perfect workers, better than droids, much better, much cheaper. And so he's coming at it from a business side of things. But I mean, obviously you were thinking outside the box and put it in a very, very more deadly and practical terms. And I could see now why the Sith would take it. I yeah, I mean I that never even dawned on me, so I would almost mm-hmm. have to lean on the in the aspect of they could have added more to that because once you said that, I had an oh-crap feeling.
0: Oh, yeah. You get a malleable workforce. You get a malleable uh, army perhaps, especially considering the few times – the only reason the, the army thing popped into mind as opposed to the worker thing, um, which is the way that they initially describe it is thinking about it in terms of some of the things we've learned about quinlan about how everything he's doing is so instinctive and they talk about memory is in the muscle at one point this idea essentially that you could create a fighter like that i mean essentially that's what quinlan is and that's why ayla is this basically drugged out barely there sort of childlike minded individual that we're meeting here because her spirit, her personality, kept trying to reassert itself, um, kind of like uh, Quinlan hopes his will at some point, and, or sort of were hinting at it starting to come back, the idea of him sort of re- recognizing the path he needs to be on, wanting to instinctively turn away from the dark side, that sort of thing, if he qu- quiets his mind and all. But because her spirit kept trying to reassert itself, he says, they had to keep giving her glitter reel every single day. So for this entire time that Quinlan has been mind wiped and trying to find her, every day she's getting another dose of this crap, and it's basically keeping her docile and essentially burying her own personality. Um, thing about it though is that Paul reveals that this goes up to much higher levels than just Paul Secura, and sure enough, uh, we get another great—what do you call it? A rage moment, I guess, for Quinlan.
1: I would say so.
0: Yeah, he wants the name of the patron. He wants the name of who it is that set up all of this, who we will find by the end basically is Sidious. But he's not willing to give up the name, and Quinlan goes rather sithy. Not, if you do the anagram and change the letters around, not that, but sithy. And he uses Force Lightning against... Pull security. He fries him basically with force lightning and he's like you know, uh, you can't do this, you're a Jedi! And thankfully we don't get another, I don't know what a Jedi is because of blah 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 thing from Quinlan. (laughs) Instead he just does it. You know, he's done trying to explain himself. We know that he has that moral uh, clean slate in a lot of ways so he fries him. He's frying the guy and this is where the shock came in for me even back then. Which is, you expect, again, them to take the, the quick and easy way out. Which is, oh, well, you know, Ayla Secura was a Padawan, she's his student, as this is going on, surely she'll wind up coming to her senses, and maybe she's the one that'll get it out of her uncle, who the patron is. Instead, they do what is perhaps right as opposed to easy, as Harry Potter might say, uh... And she sees her uncle being tortured, and she lashes out at Quinlan with the Force. But she has no control over it. It's all instinctive. And when she does, she doesn't just knock Quinlan off the edge of this balcony. She also knocks her own uncle off. Um, When she's like, Master, she's not talking about Quinlan as Jedi Master. She means Master as in Pol Secura, you're my slave master type of guy. Uh, or however you would say it in her French accent. Uh, Maybe what he was feeding her was a glitter reel mixed with whatever gave her the Ghetto Booty later. Um, But this whole sequence, you would expect it to be the end of the story and the end of the issue. At least I would have. But instead, this opens up the door for a last chunk of this last act to finish Quinlan's arc and essentially bring him back to the Jedi. The fact that Paul Secura has just died, or, or just gone, falling and falling and falling and falling, and presumably died at this point, is perceived no, he as died.
1: a... We see a thump.
0: Yeah, it's perceived as a political assassination. And that is something that the people of Rylot the Twi'leks do not take kindly to. So, Ville and Quinlan have to escape, and Ayla has run off. So, he's taking off, planning on going to Coruscant to try to find this mysterious patron. En route, he's contacted by Mace Windu, who basically says, you know, we I've been contact or the Jedi Council has been contacted by the Ryloth government about this political assassination. Um, you need to come back to Coruscant for retraining. You need to come back to the Jedi Temple, and Quinlan pulls one of the classic action hero, not until I'm done, kind of moments, you know. Uh, he has what he's going to do. Um, he's not willing to go somewhere else in the galaxy with Bill and just make some money or have some fun. But he's also not willing to go back to the Jedi Council. He has the Jack Bauer sense of, you know, uh, who is he working for? He needs <laughs> to find whoever the patron was, and which brings them to Coruscant, but doesn't really bring them any real answers. We wind up with bill
1: Well, before you go into that, I want to make a comment on a couple things. Go ahead. The, you, the scene where they had the the Force lightning, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, his anger and I will your body with force lightning and he's holding his fingers out and I was expecting the force lightning to launch out of his hand and then the next scene he's got like a closed fist and the force lightning is lifting up from the ground and engulfing Paul Secura and then you know at another point he's like good and he opens his hand and it's like I don't know it's like it surged the electricity or something it was a diff approach to force lightning and didn't throw me off i just found it was very interesting i you know force lightning in the in the legend side of things has been something that took on a, a different life than what we got in the saga that has always been one of those big prime examples of the difference in lucas's story and the eu story uh, lucas uh, i mean lucas Luke himself was able to use force judgment which was a non-lethal force uh, that him and jason were using um you know uh uh Pocloon had his that he had uh, that he used as well But so it, it was always this aspect in my mind that it, it came from how you envision things like, So I was kind of looking at this like what like maybe he was thinking of it like as a as a storm that came up from the ground Like a twister or something and it collapsed and, and wrapped around the guy I just it was one of those things that this struck me as a different way of the technique working um, so that one was one that struck me. But the other one was, and you had mentioned the fact that of uh, the way the political system worked, but the way it was dropped on us was with Vili. You know, Quinlan's running off. I have to find Leia. And Vili grabs him, really grabs him. I mean, he's got like a whole bunch of the, the robe. No, Jedi, you listen to Vili. Vili, explain it slowly. So penetrate thick Jedi head. Wormheads, take political assassins. Take them out in Brightlands. Wormhead, think you're a political assassin now. and stake take you too. Maybe Vili too. And Vili not ready to for a big jump, okay? Take your hands off me. No, Jedi, you listen. No good looking for girly girl now. She loved her uncle and tried to save him. You made her kill him. You scum to her. She hate you. Really, she would trust more than you. Get it? Yes. Good. We sneak back to Inferno. Get off right left. Quick, quick, right now. I Again, I just, this character is one of those fun characters, but he also serves kind of like a Geppetto-ness to Quinlan Vos' Pinocchio in a very twisted way. <laughs>
0: So they make their way back to Coruscant, and at this point, I mean, we know that behind all this, or at least behind keeping an eye on Quinlan and trying to manipulate him into becoming a Dark Jedi, to becoming a Sith Pawn, is Sidious. But there's essentially a step between him and Paul Secura. And under torture, at the last moment, he does name this individual, and... The name is very close to Orn ta. I think it was done that way on purpose. Um, but it's this other senator. This guy's name is Chum Freka and he is yet another of these uh, Twi'lek power players, essentially. And, and upon arrival on Coruscant, Vil zaps Quinlan and takes him to him because Vil, initially, as Mark was talking about before, it was Vil who wound up smuggling the spider eggs from Kessel to Ryloth to begin the whole process of creating Glitteril in the first place and it was he who took Quinlan to Nar Shaddaa to drop him off once his mind was wiped. Villa has been part of this essentially since the beginning. He's not a mastermind. He's still a mercenary, but he was part of this beyond what he was willing to tell to Quinlan. So he was faking some of his lack of knowledge earlier, playing things of course close to the chest. But as soon As the credits are transferred to his account for for turning in Quinlan, which was another job, he immediately turns and he kind of pulls a Boba Fett here in a sense, you know, I'll make sure the job is done, but as soon as the job is done, screw you, I can take another job. And his next assignment, so to speak, is he frees Quinlan, uh, tosses Quinlan back his lightsaber, and they wind up basically whooping butt on this old, wrinkled-up senator uh or this old wrinkled up individual, I don't know if they, they say he's a senator. Um he just keeps reminding me of Horn Free Ty every time I hear his name. But it Mace Windu arrives just in time to basically stand in his way. You know, because of what he has done to Ayla, because of what he has done with the glitteral, because of what he has done to Quinlan, he deserves to die, but Mace is not willing to allow that, not because the guy didn't actually deserve to die, but because uh Which is kind of funny, you know, it's Mace Windu who's against summary executions now, unlike Revenge of the Sith that'll come out in theaters five years later. But basically, Mace decides that he's got to stop Quinlan, not for the sake of this individual, but instead because, look, if Quinlan were to strike him down in anger, he would be forever lost to the dark side, right? Uh, it says, uh, it's not him I'm trying to save, Quinlan boss, it's you. Strike Frey Ka down now from the depths of your hate, and you will be forever lost to the dark side. Which, again, if we take this back, remember the context here, this is the year 2000. And by that logic, when Anakin goes ape-sith and kills the Tusken Raiders, he's done. He's dark side. There is no more light side Anakin from that point forward. But again, this is being written prior to that. And it could simply be, you know, Jedi platitude. So Mace fighting with a blue lightsaber at this point, oddly. I think that's where that Concordance of Fealty thing winds up playing in, I hope, I think, uh, that winds up allowing it to eventually be a purple lightsaber later. Uh, he winds up going up against Quinlan until finally Quinlan essentially hears his words and the rationale of why he has to not kill this guy. Mace turns off his lightsaber is like, look, you're going to have to kill me if you're going to kill him. And Quinlan finally sees reason. So they take him into custody, and as they're doing so, we get the thing, the scene, the brief one-panel scene, or two-panel scene, that is what c- causes me to say that this was all Sidious and his plot beyond even chum Fey ka or however you're supposed to say his name, uh, the Orn-Fritah name-play guy, in which we have Sidious looking at an enormous screen that is a an image of quinlan boss himself and he says and this is of course Sidious with his hood up because at this point it depending on what you were reading at the time they were still somewhat playing it as if we don't know that palpatine and sidious are the same person which they could be twins or clones <laughs> yeah oh. um uh, he says so close my fine jedi So close were you to coming over to the dark side. Oh, you have cost me Quinlan Boss. right? Cost him, so he is behind it? A gambit stymied some pawns sacrificed, but in their place a knight may be gained. So apparently they do regular chess in Star Wars. For you have tasted the dark side and may prove susceptible in the future. And the future belongs to me. That, at the time... Which is kind of a cool little ending of oh there was some Sith manipulation going on here interesting but given in a lot of ways what we had seen in the past with a lot of these s- stories set along the time of the prequels um, it didn't feel like it was necessarily going to go much of anywhere you're like oh yeah Sidious sees some um, some p- potential for dark side in Quinlan yeah whatever you know wh- who are we going to jump to next time we were just dealing with Asherod hitting ki Monday, mundi now we're dealing with this Quinlan Voss guy. Pfft, who are they going to jump to next? Surely this won't actually bear fruit. And instead, the idea of the darkness in Quinlan, his journey back from all of this and his susceptibility to the dark side and the manipulations of the Sith become a major part of that character, at least in Legends, from here on out, all the way up through um, when we last see him in the pages of Republic during the Clone Wars. So, again, mm-hmm. great foundation being laid. And I wanted to know if you had noticed something. Not only does he use force lightning, right? He puts his fingers out, does the force lightning, then he's, like, gripping, so it's kind of like a combination of force lightning and lifting him up. I, I imagine that less as a different way of using the force lightning, like you were saying, but as more of something like you're getting the force unleashed. I'm grabbing you with the force and I'm zapping you with force lightning. The only thing he didn't do was then force push the guy to make him into a, basically an electric bomb to explode onto his buddies. But as we get to the second page of the force lightning, there's master... And then he's holding him up over the edge. And we see him with his hand out. And the light from the lightning is reflecting back on Quinlan. But his eyes look a little bit odd. And then later on, we get him fighting against Mace. And right as Mace first throws off his cloak to pull out his lightsaber, there's another shot of Quinlan with sort of a weird glint to his eye that I Mm -hmm. think is supposed to be the lightsaber reflecting off of it. But it's interesting here that it sort of seems like because of what he's doing each of those times and his mindset at each of those times, it's almost like Ostrander and Dersima in this series were kind of trying to create Sith eyes. Remember, this is before the Sith eye concept because we didn't know that existed until Anakin in Revenge of the Sith because Maul had Sith eyes, but we thought they were just Maul's eyes because of his species and his tattoos and everything. There was something unique about him. And we never see Dooku with the Sith eyes. So there was this question of whether or not the Sith eyes were a Sith thing, or is this just a Darth Maul thing? Kind of like the Sith tattoo stuff. Is it a Brother thing? Is it a Maul thing? Is it whatever? Um, And here they're kind of playing up this, when he's using the dark side to its fullest and drawing on it, his eyes appear different thing. I thought that was kind of cool, and obviously not something we would have noticed at the time, Because at the time in 2000, we had no context of the idea of Sith eyes for another half decade.
1: Yeah, no, there was definitely something about the eyes. Because I I remember thinking like, oh man, does he have like a droid eye at one point? Uh, But no, the way you point that out, it definitely does kind of bring up that... that recollection of, oh hey yeah that does make sense because there's that moment where he goes he who stands with my enemy is my enemy he definitely looks like he's got Sith eyes there but I mean they don't have the classic fire around it but it does have that look to it so yeah I think I think you're onto something there that they're moving in that direction oh gosh yeah see for me I really really enjoyed the ending uh the way it stopped and the way you know it, it, it's brilliant in the aspect of you know when Darth Plagueis came later it reinforces this belief that Palpatine was always looking for another individual, uh, you know, someone else to take the place. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, we had others before this. And we're going to even have more after that, uh, the way that falls that Mace ends up uh, going after with Kukruk, uh when he brings Kukruk back in and stuff like that. Uh, but there are all sorts of Jedi out there that that Palpatine is working on, which also plays in the aspect of you know him sowing the dark side into the Jedi Order as well. You know, if he slowly corrupts each individual Jedi, and if it's like Yoda says, once you start down that path, forever it'll des- you know dominate you. The same thing. I mean, there's that aspect too of if we take that at the literal thing, does that mean that Luke's destined to follow the dark side as well because he went into the cave and touched the dark side? Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's that aspect as well where where I just my mind starts to think about those things. But I really like the way that Palpatine so, like, was manipulating everything.
0: Let me give you another of of the mind twist of the of the time period though. You talk about the idea of sowing seeds of darkness into the Jedi Order and Palpatine looking for other people to be apprentices. Thinking in a publishing context here, chronologically we know that this is shortly after the Phantom Menace. So sometime around this time, Dooku has left the Jedi Order after the death of of Qui Gon Jinn. He has just been swayed to the dark side. He has become Darth Tyrannus. He is ordering the clone army and everything, uh, or at least he's uh, providing Jango Fett to be the prime clone for the clone army that he was that uh, Saipodius had ordered, or that he had ordered as Saipodius, depending on your way of interpreting what we got with the Lost Ones and everything. But At this point, it's 2000, we don't even know that Dooku exists. Publishing-wise, it's still going to be another year to two years, as we get into the promotional stuff leading into Episode 2, that we know anything about a character played by Christopher Lee named Count Dooku, who is the Sith Apprentice replacing Darth Maul. So, at the time that this was being written, it was basically a blank slate. It wasn't, oh, well, there's Dooku, but Dooku was in the background somewhere. They didn't know Dooku existed, so they're writing this as if it is just... Sidious now. Maul is gone. So, we yeah, back when Maul really was dead. Uh, so, him looking to recruit Quinlan, that was an exciting thing for the time. Because it made you think, ooh, are we building up a character here that's gonna wind up showing up in the films? It's Lucas, yeah. so chances are it won't happen. But, what if Lucas is seeding this? We kind of gave Lucas, in some cases, a little more credit than was due when it came to the idea of, you know, could Lucas be setting stuff up? to lead into the film a couple of years early already with the whole thing. I thought that was, uh, it was one of those things that kind of made you go, Oh, that's cool, but then the other flip side to it was the attitude of, oh, well, they just brought in Quinlan Vos, he's not going to have any kind of, of payoff because they just switched characters, so probably switch characters again. You had sort of a, uh, a bifurcation within Star Wars fandom where those who tried to look deeper into this, there were those who tried to look deeper and saw no hope of more coming out of it, and those who in many cases saw too much uh, coming out of this because of the lack of us knowing what uh, is happening with the Sith once Maul's dead.
1: Yeah, for me, I, I all around I thought it was a really fun ride. Uh, it's one I like to reread it from now and again. I'll pull it out and go through it. Um, this one is probably my favorite Quinlan Voss one aside from the Revenge of the Sith one where he has his little moment in that, uh, mainly because I like to know, you know where he goes, but I don't know. The, the the aspect of how it kind of broke him as a Jedi and you watching him reforge himself and him, you know, submitting to the training. Uh, you had mentioned the fact that, you know, uh, Mace as he shuts off the lightsaber, he's like, I put aside my weapon, I will not fight you. But to kill Chom Frey Ka, you will have to strike me down. Are you willing to do that? And he has a, there's a moment where he's like, you know, still in the grips of his anger, he's holding on the lightsaber, and then he disengages it and he says, I am not. There are paths down which I will not walk. My heart, my spirit knows what is right and what is wrong to the depths of my being i am a jedi and i will not betray what i am and then he drops to his knee master windu i submit myself for retraining i you know i i love the fact that you know we're gonna see him go back in and, and attempt to be retrained i mean for me it kind of brings up the aspect of revan uh you know when the game first starts off and you're like I have no idea what you're doing and you're trying to relearn all this stuff. I thought it was a fun journey and I was really looking forward to this character. Plus the aspect that, you know, Sidious was looking at him. It was kind of like, ooh, this could be like Anakin Skywalker 2.0. You know, like there's somebody that he's looking for that's got all these really cool abilities and stuff. Like this guy could really be a really seriously bad dude if he succumbs. Uh, But of course, you know, that's not exactly what we go, but it toes the line. And I think that that because of where this sets you up. Is so beautifully done in the later arcs with Quinlan Voss. I love it so much, and it all starts here. I mean, yeah, I mentioned, in, and you, Nathan, mentioned that he was in earlier comics and stuff, and he did play roles in in those, but this is where he takes a front stage, and and he's under this the spotlight. And I really like that. I love the character. I love that the the menagerie of side characters that he has that came with him, uh, mainly you know just NT six hundred Villy and Aaliyah, but. I still thought it was pretty cool, and later he'll pick up some more people. I mean, his little, you know, uh pathetic life forms kind of grows as they go along, too, which is cool. Plus, you have the tie-in to tie into The Phantom Menace, which, you know, that's always something that always got me, and moving forward with the story group, you know, you mentioned, you know, maybe Lucas was tying things in. At least with the new canon, when we get stuff like that, we will know that, hey, it is actually being seeded in and stuff, and we can actually clench onto that hope, and, you know, hey, maybe this character will show up later. Uh I, I, again, I get back to that aspect of fun characters are always cool to see in cosplay, and the people that I've seen cosplaying this character always do such a great job and stuff like that. Uh, definitely one of my top ten characters. I always have loved Quinlan Voss. I've loved the journey he takes and the darkness that claims him.
0: Yeah, the story of Quinlan Voss is going to be one of the best parts of the Clone Wars in its original incarnation. Uh, to have thought at this point that it was going to end there... That uh, was going to get that good. I'm not sure we even dared to hope at this point after Prelude to Rebellion, Emissaries to Malastare, and such. just It really didn't seem like it was in the cards, but certainly John Ostrander really took this uh, to really, really good places uh, over the next few years at this point. Um, I will say Quinlan Moss is one of my favorite Star Wars characters, at least in this incarnation, so I'm certainly biased a bit towards uh, this particular arc being the one that really gets us going with him in that sense. So I guess the last thing we do is swing back around to the covers and not really a whole lot to say about them on my part. I mean, part one, part two, part three, the covers, well, I guess uh, part two and four, the covers are serviceable. They work. They're not bad. They're not great. They're just kind of there. Uh, part one looks almost like a you would see with a movie cover. So that uh, works out pretty well for me. I mean, it's not spectacular, but still pretty cool. Uh, to me, the standout is number 21, uh, part 3, which of course is the one where he's jumping with that Jedi robe that is, is so blown out that it makes you wonder how he's able to walk, because it looks like he's in Mumra's rags. Um, maybe it's the Thundercat symbol that's supposed to be that big ol' orb behind him. Uh, very much reminiscent of uh, a Japanese samurai type of stylization that we get with comic books from time to time so the highlight for me cover-wise has got to be number three um, otherwise no bad ones in the lot just kind of run of the mill to me
1: yeah i have the trades so i'm not exactly sure which cover is which um the cover to the to the trade itself where it says twilight Quin quinlan has got the lightsaber it's held sideways you got villi on the speeder there's the real spider and you've got a in the background you see uh, uh asante whatever her name is mace and stuff that one i, I like it i like Quinlan's pose especially um, the one where you see Billy up above Quinlan and they're blasting up all the mercenaries and stuff. I think that one for me is probably the weakest one. Uh, the one with the moon and, uh, or the sun with Quinlan jumping up too is probably one of my favorites. But my absolute favorite one is the one with the bats, uh, where Quinlan's jumping down and all the little hawk bats and stuff are, are jumping down with him. It's different than the way it's portrayed in the comic. I'm um, actually, I like the, the way it's portrayed in the comic better. Cause he's like, he's literally dropping down on mace from up above, like directly where the other one, he's kind of like coming at an angle, But it works, and like I said, it's one of my favorite scenes in that. I mean, I just love the iconicness of the way the bats are all kind of channeling down at at Mace as well. Um, But the cool thing about the trade, too, though, is in the back, there's also some sketches. Uh, There's also, I I think it might be an alternate cover where Quinlan's like, it looks like he's holding two lightsabers, and they're both green, one's crossed over the other one, and there's like some weird spider lady's head behind him. I have no idea what in the heck that is for Maybe it was an alternate cover or variant or something like that. But there's also some sketches of some different variants and Quinlan and Aaliyah and Quinlan by himself. Really cool. I like it when they add stuff like that in the back of the trades and stuff like that. In fact, to me, I I think that that's one of the things they need to do when it comes to praise to add more value to getting that versus, you know, getting the singles. The singles, they always have those letter from the editor and that kind of stuff where they give you little tidbits that don't make it over. So it's cool that they have different things offered. I know I've complained about that in the past because there's that side of me that wants to collect everything. But now that Legends is broke free, I'm not so much into I need to have everything. Just most of the stuff that really counts.
0: Yeah, actually, I hadn't even looked at the trade paperback cover in years because I don't own the trade paperback. I just pulled it up while you were talking about it. God, that is awful. Yeah, trade paperback cover, not a fan of for this particular story. Uh makes me wonder if it's an art style that's supposed to be tied into Infinity's End, the story that comes after this. Uh, If you are looking for this, though, folks, again, you can find it in issues number 19 through 22 of Star Wars, the original ongoing series from Dark Horse, now known as Star Wars Republic. It did get its own Twilight trade paperback, as Mark mentioned. You can also find it and pretty much the bulk of Quinlan Vos's stories, which is kind of cool to have them all in one place, in a special Star Wars omnibus. It's not one of the Republic ones or anything like that. Uh, it's not one of the Clone Wars ones. It's actually called Quinlan Voss Jedi in Darkness and it includes Twilight, Infinity's End, Darkness, the Stark Hyperspace War, the Deveronian version, and Rite of Passage from Republic. So if you get those and then you pick up the Clone Wars stuff later, you've got pretty much his entire pre-Clone Wars arc all lumped into that one omnibus, so it's easy to pick up that instead of having to search around and say, hey, you got Star Wars number 22? Well, which number 22? You talking Marvel? They don't have a 22 in the one from Brian Wood. Are you confused? Nah, forget any of that. Forget hunting down the individual issues. Much easier to get. Quinlan Boss, Jedi in Darkness. But if you're going to get it directly from Dark Horse, remember, Dark Horse loses the ability to sell Star Wars comics in the beginning of 2015. So you basically have Half a year to catch up on picking up any of these. I know uh, Kenny Crayley, one of the guys who writes into the show quite a bit, has been talking about him going through and trying to pick up a bunch of omnibus editions before the, what amounts to basically a purchasing deadline in a sense unless you're going to start getting them off eBay and such. But it is uh, yeah. Jedi in Darkness that you're looking for if you're looking for this particular story from Star Wars slash Republic.
1: And to address Kenny's question for everyone else out there that's thinking the same thing, like I suggested to him, go down to a local comic store if you have one, talk to them about opening a box. Uh, basically, a box is, uh, they give you a number, that's your box, and they have a pull list, and you tell them which comics you want, and they'll pull them for you. Uh, you know, Let them know what's going on. I'm pretty sure that they're going to be understanding and know that, hey, this is my only opportunity to sell these Star Wars comics to you. They can buy them, hold them, and you can buy them back from them at your leisure Although I wouldn't wait too long because that is money that they're investing in you purchasing that. So I know my local comic guy, like if I were to go out and ask him, he would pull them all for me and hold on to them for me until I bought them all back from him. So, you know, go down talk to your comic guys. You know, you'd probably be surprised. Most of them are going to want to make that sale, even if it may take them a while to get the money uh, because they can buy them and hold on to them and sell them to you at any time. Uh, they just can't buy any more after 2015. So, yeah, talk to them now before uh, December comes and goes and, you know, have them get it for you.
0: Same kind of goes for the digital comics. If you want to pick these up as digital editions on the Dark Horse Comics app. Uh, again, they cannot sell them through the app after the beginning of 2015. However, they can sell them up until then. And they have confirmed, because this was a big question when the whole contract thing happened, or the jumping to Marvel and everything, they will be able to leave these up so that if they are something you've already purchased in digital form, um, they they keep changing what it's called on the app. But basically, you've got the stuff that's on your device and the stuff that's in the cloud that's not actually downloaded onto your iPad, iPod, whatever. Um, you will still be able to go on the cloud and re-download any issues that you've purchased after 2015 they just can't sell you anymore Uh, in the case of the digital stuff though honestly I would probably wait save up the money if you know for sure you wanna buy some of these but I would save up some money and wait until maybe December because I'm betting that at some point they're gonna want some kinda last hurrah and do like they did on you know May the fourth and say buy this crap ton of Star Wars comics for this teeny, teeny price because we need one last bit of profit out of these before we can't sell them anymore. I expect an enormous Star Wars digital comic sale at the end of the year. Um, do I have any inside information saying that's going to happen? No. But from a business standpoint, they'd be almost insane not to.
1: I could see that, actually. Here, get all of Dark Horse Comics comics for twenty <laughs> I'd do it. now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at Fanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. They have an Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you hate because as Audible members, you can exchange your book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us
0: the odds.
1: The Dark Horse will
0: do an awesome sale like that, because I'd buy him.
1: Or that we may see Quinlan show up in Rebels.
0: As himself, as opposed to being Keanu Reeves. Whoa. Whoa, he's right. <laughs> I know Jedi Kung Fu.
1: Would that be Jed jitsu
0: Uh, She actually was the writer of one of my favorite Marvel, or sorry, not the writer, excuse me, let me say that again. She was actually uh, an artist on Star Wars, though, once before, prior to, you know, the two, As a cat comes in, shut up. She was actually a Star Wars writer prior to uh, 2000, though, I said writer again.